Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. When I was growing up, the greatest threat to the safety of America was Russia. That has long since passed. But I think about some of the threats to our national security today. And I think about those that we might classify as enemies, maybe from a collective standpoint. And then on the other hand, I think about those who might be deemed enemies from a personal vantage point. There is one enemy or arch enemy that is supreme. That enemy is called the devil. And the Bible speaks of the devil and his relentless efforts to discourage and dampen our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that I want to call your attention to as we look at this lesson text is the fact that he prowls tirelessly. And the idea here is that he is constantly on the roam. Back in the book of Job, in chapter 1, you recall Satan appeared before the throne of God, and the question was asked unto Satan in the long ago, from where do you come? Satan's response was, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down in it. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 8, be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. When you and I begin to read the Bible, one of the things that stands out is that the devil is constantly on the prowl. He is tireless in his efforts. He is always on the roam. He is always looking for someone to deceive, to destroy. And so Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 11, we are not ignorant of his devices. Here's a question. How then can you and I defend ourselves against the devil, against our arch enemy? What would enable us to withstand his tactics, his devices, as Paul said in verse 11? There are three things that I believe you and I need to equip ourselves with in order to overcome the various tactics of the devil. Number one, we're going to have to be spiritually fit. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 7, Paul said, Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness, he said, is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And the idea is that we need to be spiritually fit in order to meet the advances, the deceptive practices of the devil. Those who enter the military in our country are typically, they're sent to boot camp. And for about three months, they are literally put through a very stringent set of of exercises. They, They study, they spend time in the classroom. All of this is in an effort to equip them to successfully defend themselves against the enemy. And so they have to be prepared. 
What makes us think that we can fight successfully against the devil if we're not spiritually fit? If you and I have not successfully equipped ourselves to meet the devil, we're going to lose. It's just that simple. If we're not spiritually fit, how then do we become spiritually fit? Well, one of the ways is we have to spend time in this book that we call the Bible. When Jesus was approached by the devil, as recorded by Matthew in Matthew chapter 4, Luke gives us a similar account in Luke chapter 4. Three times the devil posed temptations to the Lord. Each and every time Jesus responded by saying, It is written. What was Jesus doing? He was appealing to Scripture. The psalmist said, Your word have I laid up or hid in my heart that I might not sin against you in Psalm 119 verse 11. How do you and I become spiritually fit? How do we equip ourselves to meet the devil? But one of the things we have to do is take, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A sword in ancient times was used as a defense weapon. And not just a defense weapon, but it was also used offensively. Well, unless we unsheathe the sword of the Spirit and use it to our good... We're going to lose every time. That's why it's so imperative that we spend time in this book. How much time do you spend in the Word of God every day? Do you read and study this book? Do you spend more time reading the paper than you do the Bible? Do you spend more time in Sports Illustrated than you do this book? Do you spend more time reading a novel than you do the Bible? It's all about priority. What's most important? You, know, you and I need to understand the devil is relentless. He is prowling about tirelessly. He's looking for our, our weak points, if you please, in life. He is going to attack those weak points. And so what we have to do is equip ourselves. And thus, we must first of all be spiritually fit. I would also encourage us to spend time in prayer. Look at the life of Jesus. See how, see how much time he spent praying to God the Father. On one occasion, we read of Jesus in the book of Mark rising up early in the morning and going out into a solitary place and there praying. Before he selected the apostles in Luke 6, the Bible speaks of Jesus spending the night in prayer to God. How can you and I equip ourselves to meet the devil if we're not doing what we can to build ourselves up spiritually, to become equipped, to be spiritually fit? We want to be physically fit, don't we? We run, we exercise, we lift weights, we engage in aerobic activities. We do all of these things to what? To build up our physical body. Should we not then take just as much care with our spiritual lives, exercising this inward man that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Number two, we have to be willing to engage in a spiritual fight. The fight that we're talking about is not, it's not physical in nature. We're going to be fighting against the devil, but it's not it's not physical, but rather it is spiritual warfare. In Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul said, Put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. He said, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. You and I are engaged in spiritual welfare. That's why Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 at verse 12, 
fight the good fight of faith. I said just a moment ago, before, before individuals are sent out onto the battlefield, they have to go through boot camp. They have to become fit mentally and physically. Well, the same thing's true. Before we meet the devil, what we've got to do is become physically fit and then get ready for a fight. Look at the allusions in the Bible over and over again to this spiritual warfare, the fact that you and I are engaged in the very heat of battle. We're involved in a fight. A fight for what? For our soul. We're trying to preserve our immortal soul. We want to go to heaven. And so we're involved in this fight. And then thirdly, in order to, de to defend ourselves, to defeat Satan, we have to be spiritually focused. In other words, we have to keep our eyes on the mark, and we have to keep our eyes on the tactics of the devil. Listen to what Peter said again in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. In other words, be on guard. You and I need to be sober. We need to be vigilant because, as Peter said, our adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In verse 9, he said, whom we stand steadfast in the faith. And so, we must maintain a sense of focus in order to defeat the tactics of the devil. Let me just ask you, how focused are you, spiritually speaking? We have to keep our eyes on the devil. We have to, main, we have to maintain or, or keep our guard up. But at the same time, we have to keep our eyes on the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer said, Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin and the weight that so easily besets us and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. We have to keep our eyes on the Lord. One eye on the Lord, one eye on the devil. Realizing that the devil is trying to do everything he can to disrupt and destroy our faith in the Lord. All right, secondly, not only does the devil prowl tirelessly, he is a persistent threat. And by that, I would emphasize the fact that the devil is relentless. You ever seen somebody who's just relentless? The devil is relentless. And the stronger we are, the more he's going to come after us. You just think about that for a moment. We look around and we see people who are spiritually weak. We see individuals who have no desire to serve the Lord. Well, the devil's got those people. They're in his back pocket. When you look at the scriptures, you see the devil working on faithful people. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. I cited just a moment ago the book of Job. What was said about Job? The Bible says in Job chapter 1 verse 1, that he was a godly man. He feared God. He was upright. He turned away from evil. And yet what did the devil do? The devil did everything within his power to destroy this man. He attacked his home. His children lost their lives. Ten children. He attacked his finances. He lost his flocks. He attacked his servants. He lost some of his servants. He attacked his own physical well-being and health. He afflicted his body with painful boils. 
And then his own wife said, curse God and die. Now, Job was a good man. And Job was not just a good man, he was a godly man. And Satan accused Almighty God of building a hedge about him. And the really the statement made was, Job's just serving you for naught. He's serving you for what he can get out of you. Well, let me tell you what. Job was a good and a godly man, and Satan did everything he could to destroy his faith. But he didn't win. Let me give you another example. What about Simon Peter? Now, sometimes we talk about Peter, and we say that Peter spoke before he thought. Probably many of us have that same problem from time to time. But in the book of Luke, in chapter, in the book of Luke, in chapter 20, we read about Jesus engaged in a conversation with Simon Peter. And Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And really what Jesus was saying is, Peter, Satan's going to put you through the meal. The Lord said, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But you just think about, here's Simon Peter, one of the apostles, one of the disciples of Jesus, one of his three closest friends, spent time with Jesus, saw the great miracles that the Lord performed. He heard him speak over and over again about the wonderful words of life. It was Peter who said on one occasion when Jesus said, will you also go away? Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life eternal. We believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, in John chapter 6. Here was Simon Peter, and, and Jesus is saying to him, Satan is going to sift you like wheat. He's going to put you through the mill. Well, did he put him through the mill? Yes, he did. Would you have considered Peter to have been a spiritually strong individual? He had his faults, yes. But he spent time with the Lord. Why do you think the Lord chose him? Did the Lord not see something in him that he could have used, that he could have harnessed for good to his glory? Well, the answer would be yes. But then there's a third example I want to cite for you, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, we read about the efforts of Satan to tempt Jesus. Three times the devil sought to overtake the Lord by means of temptation. And the Bible tells us that each and every time the Lord withstood those advances. But there's an interesting statement made in verse 13 of, of Luke chapter 4. The Bible says that the devil left him until an opportune time. What does that tell me? What should it say to us? It tells me just because we are successful today doesn't mean that the devil's not coming back tomorrow. He's not coming back next week or next month and going to try to, to deceive us again. Jesus withstood the advances of the devil, but just because he withstood on that occasion didn't mean the devil was through with him. Didn't mean the devil was going to leave him alone. And just because you and I are successful from day to day does not mean that we can let our guard down. Satan is relentless. He is a persistent threat. He's not going to give up. If you think he's going to give up, you need to rethink that. Now the Bible says resist the devil and what? He'll flee from you. That's right. That's what Matthew bears out in Matthew chapter 4. That's what Luke bears out 
in his account in Luke chapter 4. The devil left the Lord alone for a period of time. He'll leave us alone, but he's coming back. That's why Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. There's a third thing I want to call your attention to, and that is his persuasive tactics. What about the persuasive tactics of the devil? What about the reasoning that is sometimes employed to deceive us? Now, Paul said, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Here's the deal. Satan will get you if you don't understand how he operates. If you're not mindful of this reasoning process that is sometimes employed, what are some of the tactics that the devil uses to disrupt and destroy our faith? Number one, I would submit unto you that he uses philosophy. Think about Paul over in Acts chapter 17 when he went into the city of Athens. The Bible says his spirit was stirred within him because the whole city was given over to idolatry. While he was in Athens, and Athens was a great intellectual center of that day and time, he encountered some Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. And one of the philosophies of that day and time was to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. Now, none of us particularly likes pain. We tend to want to enjoy the pleasures of life. But there is a problem when that becomes the sole aim of our existence. And so, what did Paul do? Well, he reasoned with those philosophers. There are a lot of philosophies that are being peddled in our world today. One of those philosophies is, it doesn't matter what you believe. I mean, after all, God is a loving God. And God is big enough and gracious enough to just accept any and everything. Or it doesn't matter whom you serve. I mean, if you want to serve the Lord, that's fine. If you want to serve Buddha, that's okay too. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Luke records in Acts chapter 4 at verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There are, there are any number of philosophies that are being paraded in, in our country today. And there are people that are buying into these philosophies. What about the idea that it doesn't matter what church you belong to. One church is as good as another. How many times have people made that statement to you? Well, it may sound good, but what does the Bible say? Or what would, what would you say if somebody said, well, you're just being dogmatic and overly hard. When you say that there are certain things that we must do to live in accordance with the will of God. Well, the bottom line is this. Our sole standard of authority is the Bible, is the Word of God. It's not the philosophies of men. It's not the doctrines and the creeds and the commandments of men, as Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 15. And so what we have to do is submit to the teaching of the Bible. And yet the devil has done a great job in our pluralistic society today. There are people today that want to just embrace any and everything. But Jesus said, enter ye in at the narrow gate. But then I also think about 
the fact that the devil not only uses philosophy, but he also uses what I would call the teachings, the practices of the Pharisees. This idea of being Pharisaical. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus chided the scribes and the Pharisees of his day because he said, they say and do not. Did you know that the devil has you in his back pocket? If you say, but do not. In other words, if your practice is not backing up your profession. There are a lot of people in our world today, there are a lot of people in the church, they'll, they'll talk a good game. And they'll talk about what faithful servants of the Lord they are and how, how they've been charter members of a congregation and on and on and on. Well, the bottom line is this. Are you practicing what you preach? There are a lot of people that go through the motions. There are a lot of people that are lethargic in their spiritual lives. They have become indifferent to the way of Christ. And in, and in so doing, the devil has destroyed their faith. And so that's another tactic that he employs. Let me give you another tactic that the devil uses. It's political in nature. In the book of Luke, in chapter 20, at verse 25, Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and, the th and to God the things that are God's. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with politics, and I, I appreciate the, the democratic nation that we live in, the fact that we live in a free country, that we have the ability to, to put in office those that we deem worthy of that particular political office. But here's the point. There are people in our country, and sadly I think that there are some people maybe in the church, that have come to the conclusion that the savior of our nation is some political party. That is not true. I don't care what political party it is. I don't care if it's green, if it's yellow, if it's Democrat, if it's Republican, or whatever. Those folks in Washington, they are not the savior of this nation. You can just mark it down. They do not have the ability to save this nation. And there are a lot of people in, in there are a lot of people in the church. They bought into, into this idea that, that politics is paramount. And they've got the idea that a certain political party is going to lead this country into the land of promise. I don't believe that. Now I'm grateful for our political system, and I'm grateful for the opportunities that we have enjoyed the past 200 years or so. But let me tell you, the only thing that's going to save this nation is called the Bible. This is the only thing going to save this nation. It's time for people in the church to wake up and realize that the Democratic Party is not the answer to the ills of our country, nor is the Republican Party. It's the Bible. And too many of these fat cats in Washington, they have closed their ears to the Word of God. That's what they've done. They've removed it from our schools. They've removed it from our government buildings. They've tried to remove it in public, in various public sectors. And let me tell you, if they have their way, they'll remove it from the hands of those who preach and teach the Word of God. There are certain moral issues that if they have their way, we will no longer be able to preach on. One of those moral issues is homosexuality. 
Here's the point. The devil has sold this country a bill of goods that is false to the core. It is an ungodly system. And the ungodly system is that politics is going to lead the way and change our nation for the better. It's just not so. Now, that's not to disparage our political system. The point is simply this. Jesus Christ is the answer to our nation and no one else. The Word of God is the answer to our nation and no other book, no other constitution. Let me also suggest that there is another way that the devil appeals to people. It's called power. You ever thought about how intoxicating power can be? I mean, there's something to be said for power. There are people today in quest of power. It's not about money. It's no longer about fame. It's about power. In Matthew chapter 4, you remember what the devil said to Jesus? He took him up into a high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glories of them. He said, all these will I give you if what? If you'll fall down and worship me. How many people have sold their soul to the devil for just a little bit of power? Jesus asked this question. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 16, verse 26. There are a lot of people that have gotten themselves all messed up because of power, a hunger for power. And I'll just close, and this links back to our first point, with this idea of pleasure. The Hebrew writer talks about the pleasures of sin in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. Moses chose not to embrace the pleasures of sin because he realized they were temporary. They were transitory in nature. Solomon in the long ago in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 at verse 10 said that whatever his eyes saw, he withheld not from them. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have, they have a large appetite. And it's all about what gratifies them, what makes them happy. Sometimes when we become so consumed with pleasure, we lose our way spiritually. We take our eyes off the Lord. This has to be one of the most entertainment-oriented societies in the history of mankind. You just think about how much revolves around entertainment today. Think about how much focus is placed on pleasure, gratification, enjoying life. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with enjoying life. But if that becomes the primary focus of life, you've got some real problems. You've got to give the devil his due. He's done a good job selling people, the human family, a bill of goods. He sold many people a bill of goods that, when it was all said and done, was false to the core. He was at work in the garden. He's at work today. And his work won't end until Jesus comes. And then the Bible says he'll be destroyed in that lake of fire. You see, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, according to Matthew 25, verse 41. And I want to be very clear about this. I don't want to go to hell. And I don't want you to go to hell. But I know one thing. The devil's going to do everything that he can, everything within his power, to take you to hell with him. That's what he wants. 
He wants you. He wants your children. He wants your grandchildren. He wants your brothers. He wants your sisters. He wants your friends. He wants everybody. His appetite is insatiable, and he's not going to quit until Jesus comes. And so Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, whom withstand steadfast in the faith. What about you today? If you're not a Christian, here's the question. Hasn't Satan had you long enough? Isn't it time to, to give up a life of sin? Isn't it time to leave that domain? To come to a loving God who wants you to be saved? The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The Lord has done everything within his power to save you from sin. He died on the cross of Calvary, shed his blood, purchased the church with it. Today you have the golden opportunity to be a member of the church. What would you need to do? Well, on Pentecost Day, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. When you do that, the Lord will add you to the church, Acts 2.47. And if you're faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2 at verse 10. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love